Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and certainly hope you're enjoying your weekend. For the first time in about 15 months, it is a weekend without tight restrictions from Frankfurt to battle the COVID-19 pandemic. We all hope it signals that we can put it in the rearview mirror and start to focus on rebuilding the economy. Along the way, the governor was sued numerous times. He took the state legislature to court himself. Governor Andy Beshear was hanged in effigy during a demonstration at the governor's mansion. It has been a divisive time socially and politically. Just before this taping, the governor signed an executive order lifting restrictions in most places, and he thanked his team. And now Governor Beshear joins us on Kentucky News makers welcome and we appreciate you talking with us uh, thank you for having me bill and i hope everybody is enjoying this weekend governor the restrictions are lifted after 462 days uh, we we counted that uh, when you look back at the at the shutdowns the the, the mask mandates the rules that you crafted from frankfurt uh, how much did you look forward to this day eventually coming oh my I've looked forward uh, to this day since at least March the 6th when we had our very first case and, and entered the, the, the emergency, the first emergency order. Uh, my goodness, I, I, in, in, in going back, I didn't know what I'd feel uh, today, uh, but I feel both uh, relief and gratitude. Uh, relief because we are now at a place where over 2.1 million people are vaccinated, where we have some of our lowest cases and positivity rates, where our people can be safe, and that's relief. Uh, gratitude towards what got us here. Gratitude for science, gratitude for, for God, for, for such effective vaccines, and gratitude for the people of Kentucky because it's their goodness, their willingness to live for each other that has us here today. So I've looked forward to this day every day since March the 6th. Let's look back to the, the spring of last year. Uh, people were scared, uh, no question. How difficult was it for you to keep up with the, the changing data uh, and the science, uh, the information that was coming in? And were there times where uh, you just didn't know what to do at the moment? Well, it was a challenge because it was a virus that none of us had ever faced and they don't write a playbook for this. Now, initial estimates in Kentucky were that we might lose 80,000 people. And I got to tell you, I, I, I gulped a little bit after seeing that, being the, the captain of the ship, if that was going to happen. But what it did is it clarified that this thing isn't a red state or a blue state, a Democrat or a Republican thing. It was a life and death thing. And, and that required putting politics behind and Bill doing things that you and I both know they tell you never to do in these jobs. I said I don't know in response to questions more times during this last 15 months than I ever would have thought. Um, I, I had to make myself vulnerable uh, to, to relate to people because my family was going through uh, some of these difficulties too of remote learning and other, other issue. I lost people that I loved and cared about uh, you know, during this pandemic. So, you know, it, it Yes, yes, it was a challenge uh, early on, but we also had wonderful, caring people as a part of this team. And we had a whole Commonwealth that just wanted to do the, the right thing, that wanted that information uh, so much and then wanted to model their behavior so they could protect one another. Now, I think things would have been different if we were in a different state uh, because uh, our people wanted to do the right thing. 
And just having that information when we learn more, I mean, a virus that had never existed, initially not having any testing and then having limited testing. I tell you what, the hardest thing I've ever done is, is read the, the deaths, but the second hardest thing was to tell people who were scared, who thought they had the virus, not to get tested if they were young enough and likely strong enough to, to get through it. And that was such a difficult time to, to tell our nurses and doctors we still needed them to go on a COVID wing, even though we didn't have enough N95 masks for them. You know, it was a, it was a very tough and a very scary time, but, but guess what? Our hospitals were never overrun like so many others. Our grocery stores never ran out of food like we saw in a couple other places for a short period of time, and our people did not panic. Governor, all of that said, and all of our best efforts, uh, we, we still lost more than 7,000 Kentuckians, even with the, the tough restrictions. Uh, do you think it would have been worse uh, without the mandate? Unquestionably. I mean, we have lost 7,100 children of God, irreplaceable. Uh, that's a loss for their family, for their communities, and it is, it is heartbreaking. All you have to do is look at the flags right behind my office to see how many people uh, that is. Uh, but you look at every other state, uh, you look at the Dakotas that wouldn't do the right thing until they were in absolute crisis. Look at the places where hospitals were overrun, where they had to pull up freezer trucks outside of morgues. That never happened here. And then you look at the fact that Kentucky coming into this virus was number one, two, or three in diabetes, heart disease, and, and lung cancer. Those are all the organs that, that COVID comes for. Yet we have come out uh, better than most. So I believe the decisions we made were the right ones. And I think people out there know that even if they disagreed with me, I thought I was doing the right thing with each one we made. You said Friday that you gave 250 COVID briefings in the interest of keeping people informed. Uh, do you think it was that, that high visibility on your part uh, that uh, led to some resentment from lawmakers who thought uh, they should have played a larger role in the, in the response to COVID? You know, I don't worry about that much, Bill. Um, you know, we see some of the same lawmakers who are upset that we have good economic development announcements. And in an issue of a pandemic, or, or now in what I hope is a time of prosperity, you really see who puts the people first versus the, the politics first. If, if somebody is doing a good thing that helps people, uh, are you happy because it helps people, or are you upset because it may boost them in some strange way politically? I'm, I've moved past all of that. Uh, we're doing the right things. We were doing the right thing then by speaking directly uh, to the people of Kentucky, and we're trying to do the right thing now with a um, an economy that is taking off and trying to make sure that prosperity reaches every part of, of the Commonwealth. You can't get some to stop playing politics, and at some point you stop worrying about it, you focus on our families, and you try to move us forward. Well, the state legislature obviously tried to limit your mandates. They passed passed a, a state law to do that, and then uh, and then you sued, and that is on hold now before the uh, state supreme court. Uh, did you consider at any point letting them take charge of the public health policy, and then if there was a, a problem with the response, uh, it would have been on them? Oh, listen, I this is this is the most important thing that I'll ever be called to do. And the idea that I would hand it to someone else that has tried to eliminate uh, a mask mandate uh, has questioned um, the deadliness of the virus, that's something that, that would have cost Kentuckians their lives. Listen, a governor is one person. 
meaning uh, if they're willing, they can have the courage to make the tough decisions. The legislature and the numbers uh, that, that are there, it's just not set up to be able to take something that's tough and that could eliminate any political future or reelection that you have, and yet you still do the right thing. Now, it, it, I, I just early on knew that if I was gonna be able to put my head on my pillow every night, if I was gonna be able to look at my kids uh, and everybody else's, that, that I was gonna have the courage to do the right thing no matter what happened uh, afterwards. Now, has, have, have those decisions, the, the right decisions upset some? Sure, uh, but you look back at, at every leader who's had to make tough decisions. You look back at, um, at the Bible where my faith teaches me that doing the right thing is supposed to be hard, but it's still the right thing and you still do it. But the governor, the Supreme Court of Kentucky is deciding a case that you brought against the state legislature, which would substantially, substantially alter the uh, emergency power for you and for future governors. Uh, did you at any point consider uh, calling the state legislature in after a set amount of time and, uh, and, and working on this together as they have uh, said they were, uh, were left out of the process? Well, we've tried to work with the legislature on on numerous things, and and you know this is this has been um, certainly a difficult time where you've seen different uh, emotions uh, out of folks. But the approach that the legislature took that I had to sue over uh, was one that that said we'll just put the CDC guidance into state law, and the CDC came out and said, wait, it's not written that way. It's a terrible idea. Don't do it. And our state legislature went ahead and did it anyways. Now, Bill, now certainly they didn't think that that's a legitimate approach if the group that they were trying to base it on said don't do it. It was more about power and politics, and I'm just not willing to play those games. You had said uh, that there would come a time when we could look back and ask what went right and what went wrong in, uh, in Kentucky's response to, to COVID-19. Is this the appropriate time to do that? Are we there yet? Uh, it's probably uh, too early. Uh, a lot of what we look at right now is information we wish we would have had earlier. Now, our challenge was making battlefield decisions each day based on limited information on a new virus. If I look back now, I wish I would have known the effectiveness of masks early on, but we were getting different information from the national experts. And I wish we would have had a better idea about how long it would take. Because to be able to early on say to Kentuckians, we are at war. That's what each of these pandemics are. And wars aren't won in weeks. They're typically won in years. Uh, then, then, you know, may, maybe some of, of, of what we saw would be more expected uh, by individuals. But, but those are all things that, again, in hindsight, we didn't have the, the knowledge of. If I go back further in time, uh, I would have pushed even harder during my first session before this hit for uh, our unemployment system to be made whole after years and years of cuts in the previous uh, administration. Certainly, if we look at what went right uh, a lot, uh, we have incredibly effective vaccines in the shortest period of time in our history. Uh, again, uh, we'll, we'll give scientists the credit uh, for getting them out fast, but I'll give God the credit uh, for them being so effective on the very first try. I mean, it is a, uh, a miracle. Uh, and, then, and then I believe that once we learned exactly how the virus spread, being able to take a more surgical approach 
uh, was the right thing to do as we as we went forward. You had said early on that you wanted 2.5 million Kentuckians to have been vaccinated by the time you lifted restrictions. We're at 2.1 million, and you've done that today. Uh, what changed your thinking on that? For more information on the effectiveness of the vaccines, uh, originally we had hoped that they would protect an individual from getting the virus, but we didn't know that it could keep them from spreading the virus or if it would just keep them from getting sick. What we learned is that they are more effective in the field than they were in the studies and that they not only keep you from getting sick, in many instances, they keep you from getting it at all and they certainly reduce your ability to, to spread. Uh, and so with all of that, with the effectiveness, with our cases uh, on, a, uh, on a downward trajectory, with our positivity rate going that same way and having sufficient health care capacity, uh, we could do it before we hit 2.5 million. I still want to hit 2.5 million. But look at who has been vaccinated among the 2.1 million. It's 83, 84% of all Kentuckians 65 and older, those most at risk. Um, we're over 60% now at that next age group, you know, 50 uh, to, to 60. And now we can have even uh, 12 to 16 year olds get vaccinated, which is gonna take some time. But again, just provides more opportunity for people to do the right thing. And our Kentucky Newsmakers interview continues now with the governor of Kentucky, Andy Bashir, Governor, many of business people and certainly a lot of Republicans are now saying the enhanced unemployment benefits are keeping people from returning to the workforces. They note the help wanted signs uh, all over the state. Do you plan to phase those benefits out before the federal money runs out in September? Well, the way we're analyzing this is to make sure we're not looking at it in, in political terms, Democrat versus Republican, red state, versus blue state. We are applying sound economic principles because we want our resurgence to continue and we don't wanna send a shock through our economy. So these benefits right now put about $34 million a week into Kentucky's economy. The number one place they're spent are grocery stores, but they're also spent at restaurants and retail, two areas that have been hit so hard in this pandemic. So if we're not smart about our approach, if we don't thread the, the needle over the coming months, we're gonna see the same businesses that may have been hurt the most take another hit, and that's not right. We also have to recognize that enhanced unemployment benefits may be one causal factor of, of jobs not being filled, but there are at least two others. Childcare, so much of it, um, uh, unfortunately, went away during the pandemic, and school hasn't started back up yet. As we rebuild childcare, we have to understand it's gonna take some longer to get in the workforce. And the other piece is there are some who are still hesitant about this virus. Remember, vaccines really only became uh, available to all of the general public February or March, and, and we're just here in June. So our goal is to look at some different incentives to get people off of, of the pandemic unemployment and back at work, uh, while at the same time continuing to inject some of these dollars into the economy, because right now our economy's taken off. And I wanna make sure it continues uh, this this really incredible uh, resurgence that call, that Moody's called with gusto. To do that, we can't have everybody on these all the way through the end of September, which at least for the federal government is is when it'll uh, expire. But at the same time, we can't kick people off tomorrow that don't have childcare what, yet. What do you think, Evan? Are you interested in the proposed incentives for those who do go back to work, like like a bonus if they take a job and and keep it for a time? Uh, that's something that's being uh, tried in Arizona right now. 
Yes, uh, we're looking at it right now. We're looking at multiple different states. I think Montana's done it too. Uh, again, not being the fastest, but trying to be the smartest to learn what others have done. Uh, and I'm, I'm having daily conversation with business leaders out there. I was talking to one the other day that's having uh, trouble um, placing drivers, which they need, and they think that this is a part of it. But they also run a, a, a grocery chain uh, that, that these dollars are, are helping to, to lift back up their, their business. So they recognize uh, that it's that it's complicated. Um, certainly, we're looking at what's the best way through incentives uh, that we can work this the the right way to get people back into the workforce while not causing a shock in a resurging economy. And Governor, the the problems with uh, unemployment in the system in Kentucky are are well known and documented and reported from uh, fraud to enormous delays. Uh, as you look back at what happened and try to look forward now. Uh, is that going to take a, a major expenditure on the state's part to, uh, to try to right that system? Uh, or was the, was the faucet just too wide open uh, during that time, as uh, some have said? Well, I wouldn't say it's going to take a major expenditure, but it's going to take a sufficient expenditure. Obviously, what the legislature had been spending uh, before was not sufficient. You know, they'd cut $18 million from the budget. They'd moved 90 uh, uh, people from UI that could have been doing claims out. We hadn't replaced an IT system that was put into place before I was born. It is pre-DOS. Uh, um, and, and, and yes, we have an unprecedented number, the most ever uh, of, of claims. But at the same time, we had a system that we didn't invest in during good times, and then we expect to perform during the very worst of times. I mean, any any... Uh, um, manager would tell you that that can't work. But here's the unfortunate thing. Uh, a lot of legislators, rightfully, and others, said our people need help, and they did, and that we weren't moving fast enough. And while we were trying, they're right. But in this last General Assembly, when we asked for uh, more permanent long-term funding to fix it, we were told no. Again, uh, that same mistake being made of not having sufficient investment in that system. But we're going to continue to push because what happened during this time should never happen again in terms of the unemployment system. Let me ask you this uh, quickly, Governor. There is a, a lot of federal money coming in from Washington. Uh, the Republicans there voted against it, but Republicans control the legislature here, and they want to say in determining how it is spent, the local governments are making their decisions right now. Do you have plans uh, to call the legislature into special session, or how will you align the money with your own priorities? So one of the uh, acts of bipartisanship, and we haven't seen enough of them, but we've still seen it at the end of the last session, was when um, myself, my team, legislative leadership, sat around a big conference table in the Supreme Court chambers where we could spread out and came to an agreement about how to appropriate and spend uh, the first round of the American Rescue Plan Act dollars. Now, we get it in portions. We've gotten the first $1.1 billion. We can't get the next $1.1 until a year from now. And the legislature has already appropriated nearly all of that first 1.1 billion. So I think we're gonna be able to address it in this next legislative session. We certainly won't have additional dollars until then. But this cooperative spirit of bipartisanship has worked well. It's gonna create 14,500 plus new jobs. It's gonna bring clean drinking water and, and internet access to people who haven't had it. It's gonna do all those things without raising people's bills. It's a really special moment of just doing the right thing. And, and working through this, uh, the, the legislative leaders have been really collaborative. 
uh, everybody didn't get all of what they want, but we came to some really good decisions, and I think we're going to be able to continue to do that. Governor Andy Bashir, thank you for being with us on Kentucky Newsmakers. We appreciate it. Thank you. And stay with us. We'll be back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Kentucky's COVID-19 restrictions were lifted Friday. Things are starting to look more normal. But many who lost their jobs during the pandemic face a longer battle for financial recovery. For the last year, we brought you the stories of people struggling to get their unemployment benefits. And more than a year after the pandemic began, some are still waiting for payments. As WKYT investigative reporter Garrett Weimer shows us, some are short on cash and short on patience and still have a long way to go. Even with reminders all around her. We've prayed more, but I don't know about wearing lists. <laughs> it's still been tough. It's a hard, hard thing to do. For Beverly Miller to keep her spirits up. Yeah. She's thankful to have a roof over her head, living with her mother, but knowing her money won't stretch forever. Miller says she's owed months of back pay from July 2020, but she's not sure when she'll ever get it. I can't go to the grocery store until then. When unemployment gets to me, I'll come back and pay you. I can't tell the electric company. When they get to me, I'll pay the electric bill. You know, I mean, that, you know, there's, there's things that I have to do, even though right now we're surviving. Please try and you call again later. And she's not been able to get through to get help. The latest data from the Kentucky Labor Cabinet shows thousands are also waiting. The system is clearly broken. Britt Belbeck is back to work now, but is also missing months of back pay. Benefit timeliness reports from the U.S. Department of Labor show that the state's first payment promptness within 21 days dropped from 96 percent at the end of March 2020 down to a low of 27 percent in October. That's even with an outside company hired to help speed up the process. In the latest data released June 2nd, the Kentucky Labor Cabinet says more than 2.3 million total claims were filed from March 2020 through April 2021. That number includes duplicates. And so when we break down the other categories, we don't have each claim accounted for, but we do know the state has denied 127,000 claims. It has paid out 700,000 claims. Roughly 122,000 claims are still pending, and half of those don't even have fraud or identity issues stopping them. Thousands of those unresolved claims were filed last spring or summer. In a statement, a labor cabinet spokesperson told me, quote, the agency continues to work each and every day to ensure eligible claimants receive the benefits to which they are entitled, and we will not stop until that goal is accomplished. But folks I talk to are frustrated. I'm a small person that didn't get paid for five months. There are people that haven't been paid for over a year. And that's why I just want to be a voice to say, you're not alone and we're going to keep fighting for this. Those living on borrowed money and borrowed time say things have to be fixed soon. I have bill collectors saying, hey, you owe me. Hey, you owe me. Hey, you owe me. Yes, I know I owe you, but I don't have the money to pay you. When I get it, I will pay you, but that doesn't ease their mind. It doesn't ease my mind. For English, please press 1. It's why every day Beverly Miller sits at the kitchen table, alternating from calling and emailing the unemployment office. Thank you for calling the unemployment insurance helpline. To applying for new work online. Miller is grateful jobs are opening up, but she says she's had a hard time having much luck in her search. Even though they say they don't age or sex discriminate, 
and they probably don't. But are you going to hire the 18-year-old that can pick up 80 pounds for the 45-year-old woman, you know? So for now, she'll keep up her daily routine here. Meanwhile, watching the world get back to normal. I go to bed every night knowing, what am I going to do when I'm going to, you know? Wondering when her life will. Garrett Weimer, WKYT. Frustrations go on. Well, one of the largest industrial bills in U.S. history has cleared the Senate. Will Congress do what it takes to get the bill to the president's desk? Our chief national political analyst, Greta Van Susteren, has more. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. A landmark bipartisan deal. Senate Democrats and Republicans coming together, hoping to checkmate our greatest economic rival, China. This week, the Senate passing the U.S. Innovation and Competition Act. The vote was 68 to 32. Now the bill travels across Capitol Hill to the House for consideration. If the House passes the bill as is, this package would invest more than $200 billion into science, research, and manufacturing. It would put a special focus on critical fields like artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and 5G technology. Plus, it would create new regional tech hubs, offering job and research opportunities all across the country. And perhaps most importantly, the bill would put more than $50 billion towards semiconductor research, design, and production. The goal? To close holes in the U.S. supply chains recently exposed by the global chip shortage. This week, the White House also tackling that shortage. It announced a new task force to address bottlenecks in U.S. supply chains in the semiconductor construction and agricultural sectors. We recently spoke to Democratic Senator Debbie Stabenow. She says President Biden understands that every step along the supply chain is critical. His administration understands that it's not just enough to buy the finished product in America. Every one of those component parts is about jobs, whether it's solar panels, with which almost all of them come from China now, even though we have one third of the raw materials at Hemlock Semiconductor in Midland, Michigan, the polysilicon, uh, the finished products are coming from China. There is no reason for that. Want more full court press? Tune in Sundays. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren is coming up this morning at 11.30 on WKYT. Thank you so much for being along for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. We certainly hope you make it a good week ahead.